You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. Welcome, listeners. Today, I have the great pleasure of sitting down and talking to Orlando Harding, a great creator and also, uh, I want to say, director, founder of Fantasia Comic Con. Yeah, I'm, I would say that the coordinator. Yeah, that, that, that's a, probably a general term, a coordinator of Fantasia. Okay, <laughs> that sounds great. That that, that takes place that takes place in Indio, California, May twelfth and thirteenth, I believe, right? That's correct. At the Riverside County Fairgrounds. Riverside County Fairgrounds. Now, this is your second year doing it? Second year. And what was the turnout like last year? Uh, turnout, you know, it was it was smaller. We had just over just over 1,000 people showed up to it last year. Uh, the first show is always the toughest show, especially for a new show. Uh, that's usually the first thing people ask. Is this your first show? And that's what everybody asked me when we were trying <laughs> to do all the invites. And it was tough, but a lot of people took chances on us. We ended up having a pretty good show. Um, one of, you know, one of our biggest people, we brought uh, DMC for Run DMC. He came out to the show, flew out from New York, and he has his own comic book, his own series. And he's working with Marvel also. So it was really cool to have him out. He brought a lot of people out. And that's what we're trying to coordinate, the, the love of comics, hip-hop, pop, pop culture, cosplay, and video gaming. So let me ask you this, just uh, a little bit curious, and I, I think maybe some of our uh, listeners might might find it interesting. But like, what goes into setting up your own comic book convention or comic con? Well, you know, in the end, you know, you, I think in the end, you just want it unique from any other show, and it go, it, it boy, it takes a lot of work, a lot of persistence, just on trying to get people to give your show a chance. Um, and then you know nowadays there there are shows everywhere, and we all we all know that there's there's a lot of shows out there, and people are asking, well, what's why should I go to your show? What's great about your show? And then what you have to do is tell them as why our show to appeal should should appeal to them. Um, it's it's sometimes you know sometimes it can be tough. Uh, there are a lot of critics out there, and people now have been amazed by I think you know San Diego, uh, WonderCon. Um, some of the some of the bigger shows, which our opinion, and this is our opinion, that some of the bigger shows have kind of lost their focus. Uh, they're not just about comics anymore. They're really, you know, they've been taken over pretty much by Hollywood, and they're so pricey that people have been priced out or so packed that that the fans that were able to go years ago can no longer go. You're you're in a you're you're in a chat room waiting to get tickets, and there are people who have been trying to get tickets to to the bigger shows for five six years and they still can't go to them. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I met you for the first time at the Yuma Comic Con, my local yeah. Comic Con, and and yeah, it's it's it. Some of the bigger cons, they they aren't quite uh, fan experiences anymore. It's more, do you have the money? Can you can you like survive living in the small spaces? You know, with all the the large crowds and stuff. And yeah, the smaller cons are definitely. Uh, an experience in the in in a fan uh, you know way, so that you can meet other people that are like yourself and and uh, interested in the same things without having to be ushered along, so to speak. Right, you're absolutely right with that. I absolutely agree. Uh, so when when you first decide, I mean, do you do you have to go to the city and like talk to somebody about that, or is that more uh, afterwards after you've already put other things together? Yeah, I went to the city. Uh, we spoke. We had spoken about it uh, to the city. Spoke to uh, one of the councilmen, Troy Strange, 
And uh, he connected me with the the city manager. Uh, back then, it was Dan Martinez. They have a new city manager now, and some of the some of the, the head people from uh, from the city. Uh, Indio, the great thing about Indio City, they call it the city of festivals. Mm. So right now, Coachella is going on right now. So it's a huge music festival, and then right after Coachella is Fantasia. Coachella ends some, I think, sometime tonight at at midnight or one o'clock in the morning or something like that. It ends tonight. Then everybody will start to gear up for Fantasia. So uh, the city's been very supportive, very supportive of the event. They like the idea. And one of the things we're trying to really do is get the kids from the community involved just for the aspect of careers in comics and film uh, and production, things like that. Um, even myself as a writer, um, I've, been, I've been a writer working for Devil's Due First Comics for going on uh, about eight years now. And I ended up breaking in kind of by accident by a lot of perseverance. What we want to do is show the kids that there are people who live in our local areas and Indio and Cathedral City and, and, and Beaumont and Yuma and El Centro that are making money, uh, having a business in comics and having careers in comics and creating some really cool stuff. So that's one of the things we really want to do is have the kids, they come to the panels, they get to talk to the artists. They get to, and that's one of the things that you really can't do at the big shows. Sit there and talk to somebody for 15, 20, 30 minutes at a time. Uh, at our show, you definitely have the time to talk to them and, and get to know and, and for the, to learn some valuable information on how you might be able to break in or have a contact with somebody so they can, you know, they can look at your work. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's, you definitely don't get that at, uh, at other shows where you get to sit down and have a conversation, especially about comic books. I feel like uh, most of the people that are in the comic book industry are huge fans of comic books. So, you know, when you get to talk to other huge fans of comic books, it's, it's nice to, to have that conversation and a little bit, go a little bit longer. So uh, I appreciate that. As a comic book fan myself, I appreciate that. Absolutely right. I, I could not agree more. Uh, what was the, the, I mean, guess the logistics of, of setting up something like that, you know, having to get sponsors and uh, vendors and, and people, the uh, guests to come out, like, what was, what's some of the obstacles that you came across? <laughs> you name it, there was an obstacle. Yeah, I bet. It was really tough. Even, it's even tough now, even for sponsors. Even, even this year, we only have a couple of sponsors. Uh, we were trying to get some of the casinos involved. We were trying to, you know, get all kinds of people involved. And this is one of the things, especially for a first-year show, everybody you talk to, they want a free booth. They want to be flown out there. <laughs> they want hotel. They want food. They want gas. I mean, they want, you know, it's and it's interesting. We had a lot of people. And, it's, and what it seems to appear like, there are some people around the country who look for different shows. And for each show, they say, hey, I'm this person. This is what I can do for your show. And we're like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, we'd love to have you come. All right, fly me out there. Take care of, take care of me. Uh, spend basically about anywhere from 500 to to $1,000 to get us out there. And uh, then we're willing to come to your show. And that's tough. I bet. We, had to, um, we really want to emphasize local artists. And this is one of the most important things. We really want to emphasize the independence. I'm an independent comic book writer. Uh, as far as I, we're concerned, Marvel and DC don't necessarily need us. Um, and they probably wouldn't even be interested in our show at all. If we said, hey, come to our show, they'd be like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll pass on that. But the independents who are still struggling, who, who are still trying to create a name for themselves, 
who are still trying to get their material seen, this is the show for them. This right. is where you can be exposed, and we will put you on a, on a format, on a platform, where you can have equal play, equal billing with everybody else. Uh, yeah, that, that that's you know definitely uh, for someone. I would imagine that that is an independent uh, comic book creator like yourself. That's and I assume you you've been to quite a bit of shows yourself. Like yeah, I go to shows. Um, I go to probably about, oh, I don't know about four or five shows a year. Four or five show, shows a year, um, mainly on the West Coast. Um, every couple of years, we still go. We go to a show in in Texas, or we'll go to C two E two out out in uh, Chicago. And then last year, uh, then again, last year I went to the uh, Baltimore Comic Con. Also, we had a booth there at the Baltimore Comic Con. And it, it, is that something that drove you to wanting to start up uh, Fantasia Con? Was like going to these different shows and saying, you know, there's something I think I can do different and help out. Right. Yeah. That's that's what you know. What the, the emphasis, of course, was that we're on all the bigger people. And then so a lot of fans, uh, a lot of attendees. They don't even know really that they're independent comics. Right. They have no idea. So I said, you know, th- this is something I want to do. I said, you know, it would be cool to get an independent comic book show that really highlights independence. And not just with just independent comics. You know, we're, we're doing something a little bit different where we're trying to get the whole community of comics, cosplay, and gaming under one roof. And w- what was the what was it like for yourself jumping from comic book creator to now coordinator for a con like this extremely frustrating (laughs) and i knew there were going to be you know i knew there were going to be some some hard knocks but my goodness um you know but luckily even some some people who are who are um pretty big in comics like scott lobdell who just confirmed by the way he's he's he confirmed today that he's coming to fantasia oh man i'm getting some Uh, breaking news then huh yeah, yeah, Scott, Scott, he sent me an email to say, he said, I'm in, I'll be there again this year. Uh, Brian Haberlin, uh, Haberlin Productions. You know, even Devil's Duke First Comics, Ken Levin, of, of ex- executive producer of Preacher. You know, they said, okay, we'll, we'll come out there. They just had a really cool attitude. Um, dealing with human beings is always can be a tricky thing. Uh, some people were very gracious. They were like, hey, man, and they were very reasonable in their requests. And, of course, anything we can accommodate that we can afford, we'll do it. We don't have a problem doing that. Other people, they were really asking for some pretty serious things that we just couldn't do. And even though they would have been a benefit to our show, um, I think um, you have to have some give and take when it comes to it. And, again, we're not the big boys. We don't have deep pockets or anything like that. But we really want to put on something good for the fans. And again, our show will. There's no doubt in my mind; it's going to grow each year. Yes, I mean, I, I can only imagine it will. I mean, from the sounds of it, yeah, you have if you have great guests, you have great, uh, you know, people there. People will come to see it, and I, and that's uh, going to be a great show. I mean, yeah, because you know what people were actually, you know, I got a couple of calls and from uh, local comic book stores. They were shocked that we got Kevin Eastman coming this year. There you go, and- Kevin Eastman. I mean, yeah, getting Kevin Eastman is no, you know, that's no joking situation. I saw him at another show on the uh, West Coast, and the line for him was almost wrapped around the, the convention center. So I said, man, I'd love to get this guy to come to our show. I just went over there and spoke to his wife and spoke to, uh, you know, Mrs. Courtney Eastman, his wife, and said, hey, I, I have a small show out in India. We'd love to get you out there. And we corresponded for about four or five months. And when he made his announcements of shows, you know, he considered us and said, "Okay, we'll we'll do the Fantasia show as a gesture to help us out." Nice, and that's what we 
appreciate. That's what the community is all about. Yes, about us being taken and helping each other for the for the for the benefit of all. You know, he hasn't been to a show out here that I'm aware of uh, within. Uh, a couple of hundred miles, he hasn't done anything out here. I never hear that he's out in Los Angeles or any shows out there. Um, I know he's, but I, I know he does, you know, obviously San Diego Comic Con. He, he's under contract for that. But smaller shows, he just hasn't done. So he was willing to give our show uh, the Coachella Valley uh, shot. And it's just it's great. We've really been trying to pump that up. And next, Tony Fleeks of My Little Pony. It's really good to have him uh, with uh, My Little Pony and all the bronies and everything. We wanted to give uh, our attendees a chance to you know get some quality time with him and get some artwork and you know get some things done with my little my little pony because there's such a following there also yeah, i mean yeah it sounds like you're you've got quite the the lineup showing up this year and uh what, what's the early buzz sounding like you know people are responding positively we get nothing but positive you know uh positive responses from people people say they're interested i've had two comic book stores said all all their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff sold out, <laughs> completely sold out. There's nothing left in the stores, and so we're still, you know, we still have three weeks to go before the show. So we're just really trying to spread the word as to why you should give our show uh, a, a chance. And you're going to get some cool Kevin Eastman stuff. And we 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 haven't made the announcement yet, but I'll do it here. We're going to have a limited edition Kevin Eastman uh, print that he's doing just for Fantasia. And you'll only be able to get it here from a special drawing that he's doing. Wow. And so that we're really glad about that. And I can't wait. I saw the sketch. I saw the sketches uh, just a couple of days ago. And he should have the piece finished this week. And we'll go into production and have a, a great, fantastic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle print with them fighting. The, uh, they're fighting the Rat King and the Rat Kings in, in midair doing like a twirl and, and the Ninja Turtles have all their swords out trying to fight. And it's really, really cool. Yeah. And the, uh, right in the background is, uh, the Brooklyn bridge. That is incredible. That is, yeah, that's right. You heard it here first. Kevin Eastman special, uh, print for Fantasia con. Uh, I can't believe it. That's that's amazing. It really is. It's really <laughs> cool. Um, so uh, other than that, is there any, uh, I, I saw that there was, uh, you have a few cosplay groups sh- showing up. Uh, I think you said yeah, Nerd Mafia. Our, and- yeah, our big, the, hosting the, the cosplay contest will be Nerd Mafia. Uh, and they did, they did it last year. They did a fantastic uh, job with Nerd Mafia. And, and, um, and Nick, who, uh, who's, a, who's in charge of the leader of Nerd Mafia, he's a great guy. So I can't wait to have him down here. Uh, the cos- and we're doing something that's kind of unique. And I don't know if you knew this or not. We actually at Fantasia, we created baby cosplay. Did Ooh, you know about that? I did not know about that. We have baby cosplay at Fantasia. You know, I've seen these shows, you know, from Dance Moms to Toddlers and Tierra and everything that go along with that. I said, you know what? All the times I see the kids in amazement at the adults and their costumes and everything. I said, you know what? It would be so cool to have a little cosplay contest for kids four and under. We did it last year for the first time, and our and our winner was uh, a nine month old baby who dressed up as one of the mushrooms from the Super Mario Brothers. Oh wow! Video game, <laughs> cutest cutest little baby you ever want to see. So we want to make sure we said what what can you do that's kind of unique at Fantasia? Baby cosplay it was because we know as as this is something when the kids dress up, they'll t- you'll have the pictures. This is something that will be in the family for the next hundred, two hundred, three hundred years, where they can point when the when the kids. 40, 50, 60 years old, they can say, hey, remember when you were in a Fantasia cosplay contest? 
and and we walked you across the stage and and you you know you did what you did well this is what we want to do we want to form family memories at fantasia people will remember 20 years from now yeah we went to the fantasia con and we did the you know baby cosplay we did this we did that we had a great time and that's where you you know that's where we as a family could all come together under under the roof of fantasia yeah that sounds that sounds brilliant and you know i can't uh i can't wait to see uh, some of those baby cosplays it should be a great great sight to see uh let, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about you though you said like you said earlier you've been uh doing comic books for about nine years you said well yeah eight, uh, eight going on nine years now yes eight going on nine years and uh we have uh night stalker and uh rrh what was it that got you into creating comic books i mean what what, what made you think i want to i want to be the, i want this is what i want to do you know the coolest thing I think ever, you know, as a kid growing up, I was just like everybody else. Spider-Man, the Hulk, Wolverine, Superman, Batman, all the big ones, Wonder Woman, you know, you grew up watching that stuff, not having an idea that you could even do anything like that. And so I started out as a fanboy, plain and simple. I had my local comic book store in San Diego. I went to San Diego State and I had my local comic book store. I collect. I was a collector, plain and simple. And one time I got a comic book. And, you know, I read all my books. I, I wasn't a speculator. I read, read all the books. And I read this book that was not very good. I gave it a shot. The book just wasn't good. Right. And I made the comment to my wife. I was just like, hell, I could have I read this. I, I could have written this. I mean, what, the, what, who, what were they thinking about? My wife turned to me. She goes, you know what, Orlando? You have a really good imagination. She goes, I could see you writing a book. I said, really? She's like, yeah, I really could see you writing a book. You should give it a try. I said, okay. I think I will, because I thought it would be a kind of a cool cool kind of thing to do. If this person, who this book I didn't like, could do it, I figured I could do it. And so I did. And, uh, of course, had no idea. Not a clue. That's <laughs> what I was getting myself into. I mean, I mean, finding, you know, I'm a writer. I'm not an artist. So finding the people to work on the book with me and everything, that took time. And then I, I came up with an idea, and my first book was actually called uh, Pariah. It was a story about uh, a fallen angel from heaven who uh, was banished to Oakland, California, of all places, and he couldn't leave the city of Oakland. <laughs> and so while he was in Oakland, basically the uh, the underworld of hell was trying to tempt him to turn to the turn to the dark side. And once he did this, uh, Satan would have the last angel he needed to rebel against God and create Armageddon. That came out with Pariah. It did reasonably well, especially for a book that nobody had heard of. I sold several thousand issues of that. And um, a spinoff from Pariah was my book, uh, Night Stalker. And my wife, when I wrote the story of Night Stalker, uh, and she, she started in Pariah because she was one of the demons that was after Pariah to try to tempt him. Oh. And my wife, my wife was like, you know, I really, really like Pariah. But she says... Night Stalker, she goes, I really think that's your story. She goes, I really think that's the story you ought to go with. So I took my wife's advice. I came up with Night Stalker, came up with all, you know, her origin, where she came from. And I submitted it to uh, a couple of contests. And there's a contest called the Glyph, uh, the Glyph Awards, the Glyph Contest. And I submitted it for that. And um, hadn't heard anything for a few months. And, you know, truthfully kind of forgot about it. And then all of a sudden, I started getting pop-ups on Facebook. Congratulations. Congratulations. I won the glyph. Congratulations. I was like, I won the glyph. They was like, yeah, you got you got best female character for Night Stalker. I was like, holy moly. You know, and that was fantastic. 
And for a while, I had been trying to break in with the bigger boys. You know, I, I always uh, wanted to, you know, get with a, a publisher who can maybe, you know, pay me for doing my work or what mm-hmm. have you. And uh, at the San Diego Comic-Con convention, um, I was uh, had my book passing around and talking to publishers. And I went to uh, this one publisher at uh, First Comics, and that's Ken F. Levin. And, um, you know, I said, hey, Mr. Levin, my name's Orlando. I'm trying to, you know, break in. I'm trying to, you know, find a home for my, my book, Night Stalker. He goes, so what's your name? I said, my name's Orlando Harden. He goes, Orlando Harden. He's like, wait a minute. Didn't you win the Glyph Award? I'm like, yeah, that's me. I won the Glyph. <laughs> and he was like, well, come on in. That is all she wrote. I sat there and talked to Ken at the San Diego show for about a half an hour. We then met in Phoenix because back then I was living in Arizona and I met him in Phoenix. We went to lunch and I've been with Devil's Do uh, first comics. Then and now we joined with Devil's Do and I've been with Devil's Do first ever, ever since then. And it's been a fantastic journey. Let me tell you, Ken F. Levin is such a class act and Devil's Do first comics. Um, it's, you know, obviously a great fact that Ken F. Levin is also the executive producer on Preacher also. So that helps us out big time. Right. So we're trying to take it to the next level. And he's uh, he's put a quite a quite a good piece of money into my projects. Uh, Night Stalker. Then I came up with RRH, which is just short for Red Riding Hood. And, it, you know, all they both done well. Um, we've had a little bit of interest from from uh, Tinseltown and Hollywood for both the titles, but nothing's you know come to fruition yet. So. That would be the uh, the big triumph if I can get an actual studio in, involved and in, in, you know so we can take the books to the next level because it's you know even for a publish a publisher that's an independent publisher you're still going against all the big publishers and all the other publishers and all the independent artists and everything so it's still a tough journey. Can I get you to give us like a synopsis of what Night Stalker is? Yeah, sure. Um, Night Stalker. She is a bounty demon hunter uh, from hell. She's you know. That's what she does. So the the gates of hell have been breached. Several creatures have escaped, and they they're now made their way to Earth, and they're hiding, posing as human beings. She's been tasked by the Dark Lord to figure out who they are, track them, capture them, drag them back to hell. But as you know, they're not going to go back to hell willingly. They actually have the ability to time jump. So she has what she has to do is chase them through different periods of time. Now, one of the things about Night Stalker, she's an African American female. And these creatures know it, so they pulled a fast one on her. Several of the creatures have gone to, like, the 1930s, 40s uh, southern region of the United States when it wasn't exactly the best time for African-Americans back then. Right. So you have this high-ranking demon bounty hunter who has to bow down to the subservient status quo of the south and the other regions, still do her job, and not change the past in order to affect the future. So it gets really hectic for her really quick. In the end, she's going to make a she's going to make a mistake. She's going to do something that's actually kind of bad, and she actually herself will cause Armageddon to happen. Ooh. And it's going to be all up to her to fix it. <laughs> and how many issues are you in in that? Oh, uh, you know what? I still have the original issue. Uh, we're we're actually published. We've actually published seven. No, we've published seven issues, but they haven't gone. They're all done. They haven't gone to print yet because okay. we were in negotiations and some talks with Tinseltown. So Devils Do First wanted us to hold off of actually printing the book to find out what's going to what's going to happen uh, if we were to, you know, uh, make an announcement that there was an option uh, by, by the studio. Maybe something at a Fantasia Con if it happens. 
Oh man, I would love that to be that. That would be great news, but we still haven't heard the word yet, so we're still waiting. <laughs> and, and and you know, sometimes you may be waiting for months. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, going about trying to find uh, your artists in when you were first starting out, what how, what was that process like for you? You know what? Um, that process was time consuming, but it was a good process. Um, San Diego, San Diego the San Diego Comic-Con, I go there each year, and they have what's called portfolio review upstairs. So if you're an established publisher or established creator and they can verify it, you can sign up for portfolio review and review everybody's portfolios who are, who are coming through who are trying to break into the business. So that's exactly what I did. Um, my, artist for, my artist for Night Stalker, uh, his name is D- David Miller uh, from uh, Middletown, New York. He was at the portfolio review. And funny thing, I wasn't even there. Um, I had a partner and my wife, I had to go to a panel or I had to go somewhere and they actually took my spot at the portfolio review and tape recorded people who were bringing in their, their stuff. So when I got home that day, um, I looked at the video recording and I saw David's stuff and David's a very talented artist. And so I started corresponding with them, uh, him and like three or four other people. And I gave them a synopsis, gave them some trial pages so I can see sequential work. And when it uh, when it was all said and done, and of course there's negotiations because you got to talk about money, right? You got to talk about royalties, you got to talk about rights, you got to. There's all kinds of things to talk about, and that's one of the things you got to learn in the comic business because it is a business in the end. Uh, you got to make sure everything's legal and everything's set up because if you don't, it could end up being a big problem later on. So we were work, able to work out terms with David, and David became the uh, the uh, our um, our penciler and our inker on Night Stalker. Um, he's done probably to date, probably, I don't know, about 370, 380 pages of Night Stalker for the, uh, wow. for the whole part of the story. Yeah. He's done a lot of pages. And I mean, we, I can't wait till we actually go to print on the new series because it's, it's fantastic. His work is fantastic in it. And you know, I, I think that's great. Would you bring that up about, you know, having to talk about negotiations and stuff, but cause for any, I, I, my myself, I myself, I've gone to a lot of the conventions too, and I've listened to a lot of creators, and it's not, it seems like no two people have gotten into the business the same way. So it's obviously different for everybody. Right. Uh, what's something that you would say to someone that wanted to start out and and you know in the business as a as a creator, either writer or or draw or artist? I'm sorry, and you know getting into getting into it for the first time. What's what's some obstacles they should look for or try to avoid? Uh, the biggest one is get a title that's not trademarked. Oh, um, a lot of people go in and they they don't realize, you know, you can come up with a title, but people there are kind of all kinds of titles trademarked. Believe it or not, Night Stalker was already trademarked. Ooh, but it was trademarked by Marvel, but they let it go. They let it expire. <laughs> Once it expired, <laughs> I grabbed it. <laughs> and so that's what that's just simple things. You better make sure your title's good to go. And, you know, what I always tell people who are trying to break in or trying to do that, come up with something unique. Come up with something unique that people haven't heard before, not just a version of something else. Now, with Night Stalker, there's not, you know, that that I know of, a version of that, especially starting an African-American woman. So I knew I was pretty safe with that. Um, And, again, work with people. Find some people who are negotiable, who who are willing to work with you. You know, some guys, you know, when I first started um, looking for artists for Night Stalker, they were, you know, a page rate. Now, a reasonable page rate, especially for a break-in comic or something like that, and people who are totally unknown, is anywhere from 80 to 120 130 bucks a page. 
you know, some guys want a 200, 250 bucks a page. Wow. And budget, budget wise, you're doing a 22 page comic, 24 page comic. You're writing the thousands of dollars just right there, just for the artist. Yeah. And that, is, that doesn't include the inking. That doesn't include the lettering. That doesn't include the coloring. Doesn't include the printing. You know, all of that goes into creating a comic book. Right. And if you don't know how to do it yourself, you're going to have to hire somebody to do it. And the fees and, and, and the invoices are all going to go up. And then you get your book printed. Then you got to pay for the shipping. And then you're ready to go. And then guess what? You want to ship it to all around the world. Well, okay, that's good to go. <laughs> Diamond is going to want, want their cut yep. of your book, too. And you're going to get a percentage of that. that they're actually going to get a, probably a little bit more than what you're going to get. So let you know right there that it's just no joke of a situation. you got to really do your research. And I don't think you should ever go in it thinking you're going to make a million dollars. Because the odds are that it's not going to happen. The odds are you're going to be doing it for the love. And that the million dollar contract from Hollywood is probably not going to be happening anytime soon. And that's why I did. I didn't do it so I can make a million dollars, but I wanted to tell cool stories. And when I'm dead and gone, my books are going to be around, Uh, you know, 50, 100, 200 years from now. My books will be in somebody's closet, some bin somewhere in a comic book store. And people will open either Night Stalker or Red Riding Hood. And they'll be like, man, look at this. Who did this? Who's Orlando Harding? And what was he trying to do? What was he trying to create? And that's, I think that's the best thing you could ever do. Something that's going to be, live be much longer than you are. And that's, that's what it's all about. And not only that, I mean, it, it, in the age of digital that we are in, you know, it's going to yes. exist on digital forever and in, in, in yes. space. Because, uh, absolutely right. You have a, I, you have a Night Stalker on Comixology, right? Or, yes, we do. Okay. Night Stalker's on Comixology and as is RRH also. So there you go. Um, what is it that that you particularly love to geek out about? What what what's your fandom right now? You know what I you know I should I think I geek out about everything. You know I'm I'm just I'm a I'm still even though I, I create and everything I'm still a fanboy. You know um, with my own creations I can't wait till somebody does if I describe a piece or describe a page when they sketch it out and it comes to life that's the best thing. But truthfully, you know what my biggest I got to say my biggest thing is. Hanging out with the fans. Nice. Especially if they don't know who you are. When people come by, I've had several people, either with Night Starker or RH. And the coolest thing to me is when they give your book a chance. They give your book a chance, like, okay, you're at a show or whatever. They're like, oh, okay, you know, I'll give it a shot, you know, I'll see, see what it's about. And then let me tell you that they come back the next day and they're like, holy crap, <laughs> I had no idea you were going to go there with this book. And they just came back and said, man, I loved it. I've had several people do that with Red Riding Hood, with Night Stalker. They were just like, you know, it sounded kind of cool, you know, checked it out, you know, kind of, you know, kind of skeptical. They come back the next day and said they absolutely loved it. And then they buy up everything that you have. Like with Red Riding Hood, they bought the rest of the books all the way up to book nine. And with Night Stalker, they, they'll ask, you know, when's the rest of the stuff coming out? And I, I tell them the same thing. We're working on it. We're, I said, they're all done. We're just waiting to print, but we got some stuff, legal stuff going on in Hollywood, and we'll see what happens. And that's the best thing, that you made an impression on them. Uh, a couple of times I've had people go to Comic-Cons or go to shows before, and I remember one young lady, she had never bought a comic book before. And the be- you know the first comic book she ever bought was Red Riding Hood. And I was so pumped, and I took her picture, I put it on Facebook. She, I said, of all the books she could have tried in, in, in the country, she decided to give my book a try as her very first comic book, and I was very proud of that fact. 
interacting with the fans is the best thing. Just hanging out, talking to them, and just talking comics and, and the science fiction and fantasy and what you're doing with the story and their amazement. And, you know, you're just making them happy, and that's the best thing ever. That's that's incredible, and that's a great story. What uh, what was it about Red Riding Hood that you felt that you had the you you had a story that you wanted to tell with uh, with that particular character? <laughs> yes. Oh, man, what a great question. Um, you know what? I wanted to come up with something unique. Uh, you know, and I want to be universal with my characters. I don't want to just create African American characters or Caucasian. I want to just create all kinds of cool characters, no matter what race they are. And I had a huge challenge with RRH. Um, and so when I presented um, Red Riding Hood to uh, Ken Levin, he was, he actually said no. Huh. He actually said no. He said, Orlando, he said, every version of Red Riding Hood has been done. He said, I, I seriously doubt you're going to have something that it's going to be, you know, unique into itself. So he goes, you're going to have to really dig to come up with something unique that I'm going to approve with that. And I'm like, Ken. Trust me, I got it. I got the story. And then so I, I did a one-page document and sent it to him. He was like, Ancestry.com? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I never saw one woman. And that was the pitch right there. The, uh, the wolf uses Ancestry.com to search the lineage of Little Red Riding Hood. And he finds Little Red Riding Hood's 10th generation granddaughter who has no idea that she's related to Little Red Riding Hood. So when he finds her, he kidnaps her and holds her responsible for what happened 800 years ago. Um, he literally takes his 16-year-old girl on her 17th birthday. He takes her, kidnaps her, and actually kind of starts to torture her for what happened. Uh, she's rescued by a creature she never knew exists, and she starts her training to eventually become the most lethal assassin the world has ever seen, and she specializes in killing and dispatching werewolves. But what I tried to do, I tried to put a little twist in there that you see the point of view from Little Red Riding Hood and Sidney Marie Woodman, that's her name. But also, you see the point of view of the wolf and what he had to go through and the curse of his ancestors for what his great ancestor did, uh, revealing uh, werewolves and lichen to mankind so they destroyed him. And it all came back on his, his, his genealogy, his relatives. So the only way to ever redeem his bloodline again is to take out the line of Little Red Riding Hood. So you get versions of both sides, and you, you you're sympathetic for both sides because it's, it's a tough situation to be in. And Red Riding Hood was a it was a, it was a nice hit, and people really really enjoyed the book. That's awesome, yeah. And you know the story is uh, amazing, and and it's uh, great to see. Yeah, uh, you know, like like uh, Ken was saying, you've you've seen so many different versions of Red Riding Hood, but yeah, yours is so unique and so different, and obviously, uh, yeah, like you said, a hit. So that's 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 awesome. Uh, you know, I'm glad that you were able to tell that story. Yeah, oh, me too. Because um, let me tell you, I, I'm really glad because you know people really. And of course, she's a teenage character. She's only 17 years old, and she's going through a struggle. She's a senior in high school, and she's got this legacy of Little Red Riding Hood. And the beautiful thing about it, uh, which I, I just got through writing a new story for, her, is they they find Little Red Riding Hood's diary, and she connects with her great ancestor mm. and what she was going through through Little Red Riding Hood's diary. And that's where she really bonds with her great, 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 great grandmother. That, that interaction of, you know, modern technology, especially ancestry.com is that, is that a field that you particularly are interested in? Like, you know, modern tech and, and, introducing it to stories that we've, we've, we've heard or stories that, you know, 
pique your interest? Yeah, you know, actually it is, you know, because that allows us, modern tech now allows us to go to places where we, that was, you know, 50 years ago, it was just imagination that you could do things like that. The internet, computers, everything they do now. Now it's the status quo. So it allows us to actually do it. So people can imagine that this could actually happen, you know, um, using, you know, Ancestry.com, using technology, using an app. And that's one of the things that, uh, that, you know, my character, Sidney Marie Woodman, does in Little Red Riding Hood. She uses technology, but the technology is aided with the old ways of de- dealing with werewolves from the, uh, the, the diary of Little Red Riding Hood. Ah. So that's the beautiful thing. These are old ways that have been lost forever because of passage of time. So now she has those old, they, they're revealed to her through her writings, and she has the aid of tech also. So she has a double, literally a double-edged sword, and to, to help her with her, you know, her plethora of things that she can she can use to uh, survive and stay alive. So, have you, as a writer, have you found that to uh, help you get out of spots in in your story writing, or is it has it made it so that you had uh, you've had hindrances, like you know, having to come up with ways for her to lose a cell phone because you don't want her to make a phone call, kind of thing. <laughs> Right. You know what? And but, you know, just like, you know, just like anything, it has I think it has to be just realistic. It has to make sense. You can't just pull out of a situation just to pull her out. Mm-hmm. You know, like perfect example. My wife, I kid you not, she drops a cell phone in the toilet or the dishwasher at least once or twice a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you got somebody who needs their cell phone. All you got to do is wet it and it's, it's going to be no good to them. That's right. So where you have these technological advances. Very simple things can make them uh, render them useless. Right, and this is what this is this is what Ag or the Wolf. This is what he does. Where where she has his advantage in tech, he goes back to the old school. She can't do anything with tech if it's wet. Right. Yeah, and and, and th- that makes sense. If you think of uh, you know most people today, as soon as their phone's not working, you know ha- you know just about half of people can't seem to function anymore. So right. Uh, what would you do now without GPS? Let me tell you. <laughs> it's true. I I, mean, I don't know if I could pull the old map out of a out of the glove compartment. I don't have a map in my glove compartment. I know that's for sure. I mean, could you imagine? Most people nowadays have no clue, and luckily I do because I'm a little bit older, and have no clue as to what a Thomas Guide is. Yeah. How, to actually, how to actually read maps and get around town. Me, I could play. If, you learn, if I find a Thomas Guide somewhere, I can actually get around town and figure out where to go. Most people, they probably just sit there, uh, starve, and, and dehydrate and, and, and die because they, they wouldn't know what to do with all this tech. And so this is also where, where tech has been a hindrance, where people don't have basic abilities because we're so reliant on these computers and, of course, our smartphones. Right. Yes, absolutely. So that, at least with Sydney, that's why she has the advantage of the old ways. She doesn't have to totally rely on the tech. Perfect. So let me ask you this. On, on Wednesday, New Comic Book Day, what's on your pull list right now? Oh, you know what? What is on my pull list? You know what? Um, I honestly, I have always been an image person. Yeah. I've always loved image comics and independence. So um, I've always been a fan of anything Mark Silvestri, you know, uh, anything Tom McFarlane. My number one comic book of all time. I have no problem telling anybody I love Spawn. <laughs> Absolutely number one comic book of all time. So I'll be going after anything Spawn, anything image comics, uh, you know, I've been a Spawn fan ever since Todd McFarlane came out with them, and I still, you know, I still collect it now. Uh, that's that's my main go-to is you know see what see whatever Spawn is coming up with or whatever McFarlane is coming up with. That, that that's what I'll go after. 
Uh, so maybe maybe Todd McFarlane year three Fantasia Comic Con. You know what? I've tried. I've tried. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. I tried last year, and I will try again for next year. But you know, he's busy right now working on the new Spawn movie. And That's right. right now, so you know he's he is a busy man. He's right there in Tempe, Arizona. Yeah. And so I've given it a shot, but it hasn't worked out yet. So we'll we'll try it again. You know, <laughs> that's one thing you got to learn in these at this con business. If, if first you don't succeed, keep trying and keep begging. What about uh, uh, Kevin Smith's new Sam and Twitch show? You've been hearing about that. Yes, I have. I haven't. You know, believe it or not, I saw uh, Kevin Smith probably about three months ago uh, at a comedy show. And believe it or not, I went up there specifically so I could see his comedy show and to give him a, a look at Night Stalker. Then obviously he had the health issues that happened. What was that? About a month, month and a half. Ago? It, was about, it was about yeah, a month and a half ago. About that, a month and a half ago. So I'm I'm guessing he's recouped from that. So yeah, I'm really I'm really excited for Kevin Smith. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's fantastic. So I can't wait. And who knows? Maybe things can line up. You never know where we can hopefully work together on some stuff ourselves. I don't, I don't see why not. That that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, it would be. It really <laughs> would be. Um, do you have any more shows that you're going to be going to this year? Um, I'll be going to San Diego for sure. Okay. Oh, I went. I went to uh, WonderCon. I was at WonderCon. Oh, I was there. I was there. Uh, I was there on Saturday. I was up up at WonderCon on Saturday, and uh, we'll, we'll be going to San Diego. Uh, we'll go be going to Phoenix, and amazing Las Vegas. We'll be at all those shows, and that's typically the West Coast gauntlet that 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 we hit. Yeah, I, I will be at Phoenix and Amazing Las Vegas, so I'll definitely have to meet up and say hi. Yeah, we de- oh yeah, we'll definitely have to do that. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Is there anything else? I mean, like we said, Fantasia Comic Con is May twelfth and thirteenth in right. Indio, California, uh, Riverside, Riverside County Fairground, inside the Fulham Water Auditorium. That's one of the things. Sometimes when people think about the fairground, they think it's an out- outside show. It's definitely an, an indoor show. <laughs> we definitely have great air conditioning in that <laughs> in, in that place. And we're going to have, you know what, I've done some pretty serious recruiting this year. We're going to have some very surprised vendors there that people are going to be shocked at. You know, we're going to have some really, really quality stuff in there. We're going to have quality guests. This will be a great place to come out. Hey, we're having, uh, with uh, GameStop, we're having a Smash Brothers tournament. Ooh. Uh, we we have a bunch of prizes, and this is another first that we're going to do on here. Nintendo will be there demoing um, Donkey Kong Country, a brand new game from Nintendo, and they're going to demo it there for the first time at FantasiaCon. Wow! So people will be able to come to FantasiaCon and actually play Donkey Kong Country for the first time. Uh, ever and because it's release date, the release date is coming up. So they were n- gracious enough to say we'll send a rep there so people can get a flavor for it. So we want people to come out, play in the Smash Brothers tournament, get comics, do cosplay, and of course, try Donkey Kong Country at Fantasia. That sounds incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure pleasure talking to you, Orlando. And uh, I I hope that uh, I can get you to come back on in the future. I would love to. (laughs) And will I be seeing you at Fantasia May 12th and May 13th? You would most definitely see me there. All right. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you so much for taking an interest and for helping us spread the word. That's all we want to do is spread the word, spread the love, and let's have some fun. Let's all have some fun. So... So this has been Mitch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek Geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.